Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. <coughs> Lovely to be able to read today. So our page number in Luke uh, chapter 18 in the Red Bible is 742, Luke 18, 9 to 14. So that uh, Luke 18, I'm reading from the large print here. So 9 to 14. The heading is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector on page 742. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now if you turn with me to page 685 for Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 6. 685. Scott's going through um, Matthew at the moment. So we're reading Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 6 on 685. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we want to just thank you now for your word. We pray that uh, you would uh, clear our minds and soften our hearts, that uh, we would uh, see that which you would teach us today, uh, that our lives would be changed accordingly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the classic television show, The Simpsons, Homer Simpson has a love-hate relationship with his next-door neighbour, Ned Flanders. 
Because the Flanders family are Christians. I'm talking real Christians here. Zealous, Bible-thumping, church-going Christian people. It's love-hate because although Ned is actually a very stable and a very, very helpful man to have living in the neighbourhood, Homer feels inferior to him and maybe even just a tad judged because Ned's life, is in so much better shape than Homer's life is. And that's a feeling which has not helped one day when Homer's little boy, when uh, when Ned's little boy rather, is uh, talking to Homer over the back fence and he says, Mr Simpson, I'm so excited. I've just come back from holiday Bible camp. We learnt lots and lots of things about how to be more judgmental. It was really, really good. That's exactly what you need, isn't it? (coughs) Kids living next door who've been trained from young in how to find faults in others and they do it at a Christian camp. I'm sure that the kids' program at our getaway weekend was not quite like that. Although having seen that video... um (laughs) But we understand the point, don't we? There are times when non-Christians will feel judged by Christians... Um, Sometimes they are in fact being judged, other times they wrongly imagine it because, well, like Homer Simpson, they they realise that there is this difference which Christ has made in our lives which they don't have and they feel a bit sort of judged about that. However, judgmentalism uh, is a temptation which we all face especially Christians judging other Christians. Because as a church, uh, church is not just about one and a half hours together on Sunday, is it? As a church, we live as a, uh, as in community with one another. We get involved with each other's lives. We, we share with one another and inevitably we will form opinions of one another. Uh, mostly very good opinions as we uh, acknowledge God's work in each other's lives but at times uh, we're going to be tempted to be critical of one another as if somehow we're better. Ever felt judged by a fellow Christian? Ever been the one doing the judging of a fellow Christian? (coughs) Identified their faults and made sure that they and others were duly informed of that? Now for me I guess I could I could tick both of those boxes and I suspect I'm not alone in that. So therefore, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus addresses this issue, it's really, really helpful for us to uh, do some thinking about it. And uh, if you care to open up your Bibles at uh, Matthew 7, he, he kicks off in uh, verses 1 to 4 with a, with a warning for us. Let me read that for you again just to refresh our memories Uh, Matthew 7 verse 1 do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye How can you say to your brother, let me just take the speck out of your eye when all the time 
there is a plank in your own eye. Well, firstly, what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? I mean, I, I take it that here it's, it's talking about condemning people, isn't it? Uh, being critical of a person so as to, to tear them down, which, by the way, we often do in order to elevate ourselves, at least in our own minds. And Jesus, of course, is the master illustrator, isn't he? Don't you like the story that he tells here the, uh, about the speck and the, and the log? Let's add a little bit of colour to what Jesus describes, shall we? Imagine, imagine that you're in your uh, back shed or your garage one day and you're, you're doing a bit of woodwork with your electric saw uh, and you don't bother wearing safety glasses. And so in no time, you know what happens, don't you? You find yourself rubbing your eye because you've got some sawdust that's lodged itself uh, in your eye. Uh, your next door neighbour, his name is Mr Perfect. And uh, I used to live next to a guy like this. His lawns, they always, he was weeding them every day. They looked like a bowling green. They did. And his house was always immaculately maintained uh, and he's always got the right tool for the job and he would never, ever saw timber without safety glasses on. So imagine you've got that guy as your neighbour and he's been watching you over his back fence. Sees you rubbing your eye and he turns up with the perfect pair of tweezers to perform surgery. But for him, this is a point scoring exercise. Another opportunity just to show you how foolish you are and how much better he is. So, yet in Jesus' story, when he arrives tweezers in hand, you discover to your shock and horror that he has got a fence paling lodged through his skull. <laughs> I mean, he's in no condition to be extracting sawdust from your eye because it will... He needs an ambulance, doesn't he? <laughs> now, this is ridiculous, and it's a, it's a slightly humorous story, but the punchline is that that man turns out to be us. For when we as Christians criticise each other, we're just like him. Ever notice that in yourself? I have. I remember on <clears throat> one of the multiple occasions where I've had a log in my own eye, I was telling someone else, I was telling someone about another Christian who had done the wrong thing to me. Uh, when the man that I was speaking to reminded me of a time when I had done precisely the same thing to him. And he said to me, Scott, uh, I just thought I'd point out to you your propensity to do the same thing. It was one of those ouch moments for me but very helpful. Friends, God is like that for us. Uh, he knows all of our thoughts. He knows our actions. He even knows our history. And so in verse 2, when we judge others, what we're doing is we're actually setting the standard. And Jesus says that by the same measure that you used against that other person, well, God's going to use that measure in judging you. Now, earlier on, uh, we read uh, about Jesus' 
parable of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's a very helpful illustration, I think, for us, because in that uh, story, there's these two guys, they're both at the temple, and one of them, uh, the uh, religious man, uh, he looks down on the tax collector. Uh, he knows the tax collector's sin. These guys were the, uh, the dregs of society. Uh, his sin was clear. He could see the tax collector's sin, but he couldn't see the pride and the arrogance, the self-righteousness within himself. The tax collector had a speck in his eye. The Pharisee had a log lodged through his skull. Notice what Jesus says in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How do we remove the log from our eye? Uh, recently I was chatting with um, some people here in church. Bill and Alice, are you here today? It doesn't matter if they're not. Um, but Bill and Alice and... Uh, and they arrived in church and I encouraged them to come and sit down the front. That's a good, good tip, by the way. Uh, if you fill up from the front, it makes it easier all around, particularly for uh, latecomers coming in. But I invited Bill and Alice to come and sit down the front. They sat in the second row. And Alice, uh, with a sort of cheeky grin, says to me, Ah, you've, you've put us in the sinner's seats, Scott. <laughs> to which Bill responded and said, Ah, my dear, these are all seats for sinners every one of them. Touche, touche, and how right that is. Removing the log requires some self-examination. Never mind the other person. We need to be acknowledging our own sin, repenting of it, and remembering God's mercy and kindness to us when he nailed our sins to the cross. And only then, when we, that we will be able to see clearly, we will be able to see ourselves and we'll be able to see the other person in the way that God does. And that way, with the log clearly removed from our skull, we can actually see clearly so we can start making some right judgments. Because there is such a thing as right judgments. And we see this in, in the passage, actually, as we continue through the passage. Uh, firstly, let's look at it this way. Why does Jesus say that we should remove the log from our own eye? Well, it's so we can see clearly, so we're in a position to actually uh, remove the speck from our brother's eye. Uh, some Christians think it's wrong to make negative assessments of an, another person's beliefs or their or their behaviour. Um, however, godly discernment is not the same as judgmentalism. You get the difference, don't you? When we become aware that a fellow Christian is sinning or is struggling spiritually, we can't just pretend that it ain't happening. The sawdust is there. And in that situation, we have a responsibility to make a judgment and to to speak to the person the difference is that we go to them out of genuine love and concern and care um, there are times when many times when I've done 
the wrong thing, um, sometimes unintentionally, um, many times intentionally. And I've always appreciated it when someone has plucked up the courage to come and have a chat with me, speak with me about it, and, and do so in a gentle, loving, and a humble manner. So as I've got the opportunity to realise what I've done, to, to be challenged about it, uh, to explain, to apologise, and to change, to try to make myself different under God. Uh, we see this in, um, uh, in the Bible. Uh, for example, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, here Paul says, uh, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, what are you supposed to do? Ignore it? No, you who are spiritual should restore him. How do you do it? Gently. Gently. Now, this is not the same as, you know, going to the person and telling them off or phoning them up and giving them a piece of your mind or, uh, you know, firing off a, an email like a missile to them. No, it's, this is a picture of a, of a loving nurse who, with great care and with tenderness and with love and compassion, removes a speck of sawdust from the eye. And that tends to have better results, doesn't it? It tends to make it a whole lot easier for the person who is being rebuked to respond uh, out of a feeling of being loved and respected and to, and to respond positively uh, to the challenge. <coughs> That'll happen when we know that they, uh, when they know that we love them and that we want to build them up in godliness rather than tear them down and build ourselves up. Now, having said that, a positive response uh, is not the only way that someone might respond to a godly rebuke. And this really is the second reason that we need to make godly judgments, if you care to have a look at verse 6 where Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. How about that, eh? This, this ain't a pretty picture. These dogs, these are not like the, you know, little puppy dogs that like to roll on their backs and have you scratch their tummies these are wild dogs that hunt in packs that he's talking about here these pigs you know you wouldn't find them auditioning for the movie babe these are wild boars <laughs> that he's talking about occasionally our family visits malaysia because that's where um, cassie's family lives and <coughs> sometimes in malaysia we we come across wild monkeys. Rule number one, do not feed the wild monkey, however friendly he may look or she, because chances are he or she has got a hundred friends. And if they don't like your food or there ain't enough to go around, your life could suddenly become rather more interesting. Right? You don't feed them. So... <coughs> Who are the dogs and the pigs? Well, 
throughout the Bible, when someone hears God's word and then doesn't like the message, well, you know what they say, don't you? If you don't like the message, you shoot the messenger, right? So whether they are uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, which was often a very, very difficult gig, uh, or apostles and gospel preachers in the New Testament, the message ain't always going to be well received. Um, one of the examples of that, <coughs> just one of many examples, uh, is when Paul was in Ephesus. Let me uh, just share with you from Acts 19, uh, where it says that Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. The way was a nickname for, for Christians. So what did Paul do? He left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. See, what we see there is that Paul needed to make a judgment, didn't he? It was a judgment to leave. He'd been uh, sharing the gospel with these people in the synagogue, but their response to that was that they trampled upon the word of God and they turned upon the Christians. They maligned them. They said things about them which weren't true in order to disparage them. And so Paul made the judgment it was time to leave. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. And uh, that was the decision that he took. However, I think that there is more to this uh, than uh, only about preaching the gospel and the gospel being uh, rejected. Because uh, in Matthew 7, if we consider the context here, this is really about... Um, specks and logs and uh, there is this issue of humbly removing a speck of sawdust from someone's eye but what if the person actually prefers to have the sawdust lodged in their eye long term the problem is that when someone is ensnared in sin um, even they might be a person who professes Christ and is actively involved in the life of the church. But when they are ensnared by sin, they don't always like the idea of you pointing that out to them. Years ago in, an, in another church, uh, there was a man who was in a leadership position and he was behaving in quite an ungodly way and that was hurting other people in the church and so myself and another leader were asked to to meet with him and to we assumed that as a man who professed christ that uh, whilst he might find it difficult to hear that he would upon processing these things would want to uh, to know about them uh, so that he could change we were gentle but he responded with hostility and anger. And over time, he maligned us. He spoke to others, making false accusations against us. 
and that was evidence of the nature of the beast in a sense the nature of the sin the pride the self-centeredness in which he was so deeply caught now this kind of reaction uh, should not surprise us especially if we uh, read our Bibles well, if we read, for example, the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs because they really, really does analyse uh, human humanity and human nature and the world in which we live. Have a look at uh, some of these Proverbs, for example. I've just picked a few. Um, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Or chapter 13, verse 1, a son, a wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. Chapter 15, verse 31, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Or chapter 17, verse 10, a rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. That's right, isn't it? And we see in those verses the two kinds of reactions uh, when we uh, give someone the good gift of um, the Word of God into their situation in life. There are two reactions. The wise person, they, they might be embarrassed and ashamed. They might uh, react defensively for a while, but as they process what's being said, uh, they'll, over time they'll, they'll appreciate you because you love them enough to speak to them about it. That's because that's where their heart is, that they really do want to honour God in their lives. But the unwise person will despise you. You throw them your pearls, but they trample upon your words, and then they turn on you. And in which case, uh, it's wise to uh, make a strategic withdrawal and uh, perhaps to take a different approach so that you're not exposed to their attacks. Um, the Bible does speak a whole lot more about this topic, uh, about further steps which involve the matter being dealt with by a larger body of the leaders um, and that for the sake of the person themselves and for the holiness of the church. Um, because sadly, uh, if someone really does want to keep that speck in their eye, and attacks those who offer the good gift of a loving rebuke, they may have to suffer the destructive consequences of their sin in their lives so that they might get to a point, as did the prodigal son, of realising how far he had drifted away from God and come back uh, seeking forgiveness. But having said that, remember what the book of James says. In James chapter 5. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, when uh, Jesus says, do not judge, he's not commanding us to be undiscerning blobs who never hold any opinions about right and wrong in other people's lives. But this is nothing to do, it's nothing like the sort of judging that Homer Simpson's neighbour 
was being taught how to do it the holiday Bible camp it's nothing like that so what about us we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and earlier on in the Beatitudes Jesus described the kinds of people who are truly blessed by God do you remember their character they're meek poor in spirit they mourn over sin and they are merciful towards others. That's very different, isn't it? Very different to the unbroken spirit which presides in judgment over others. To tear others down whilst building ourselves up. And my guess is that um, perhaps uh, you and I from time to time, we need to go through some pulling operations don't we uh, just to uh, in order to remind ourselves that uh, that God who is rich in mercy has forgiven us he's forgiven you and me for all of our sins and when we reminded of our, ourselves of that then we can actually start to see clearly that we might have a more loving and compassionate view of others and seek to not be so bothered about what others are doing wrong, but to be thinking about our own lives, where we need to change, so that we would be those who honour God. Why don't we pray about these things? Father, we want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us in Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that um, you have... You have forgiven us of all of our guilt. And we pray that uh, we would be people who see others in the way that you do, as those who are the objects of your mercy, that we too would be people who reflect that love and grace and mercy towards others as we deal with sin in our own lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.